日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へイントロデューサーズフハナルルハワイクリストファーはい。What's the value of history? What's the value of learning history? What's the value of studying history? I mean, people stop me on the street all the time and say, Chris, what's the value of history? And, you know, after the photos and the handshaking and the autograph,、um, you know, I don't know if I have a good answer for them because, you know, I, I do agree that there's the, the value of, of learning history or studying, studying history is making you a more well rounded individual, the intellectual benefits sort of giving you a more broad perspective overall. I mean, there's that, but then what is the concrete Day to day use. For example, take,、uh, I don't know, the, the woman, you know, the, 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 the squat woman at the register at Jack in the Box who takes my order, the one with the, the gold tooth and the questionable ethnicity. What good would it be for her to study and learn history? I suppose maybe she'd get a better perspective on her life and, and the world and where she fits into it, but then she might decide that. She doesn't want to work at the Jack in the Box, and then who's going to give me my ice cream shake? So, I don't know. I don't have an answer. Well, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> But, I, I mean, I really think, though, that the, the question of what is the value of studying history is a good question because I personally think there's great value in it. But I don't think I can put it into words. And I don't think necessarily this specific question is what we're going to tackle on this podcast because we're kind of more. Well, no, well, Laura, well, well, okay. Well, you already opened up the Pandora's box. Well, so, I, 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 before we get too deep into this, well, I do want to no, say no, that. No, 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 no. Okay, so, I mean, I'm going to be the one. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll kick the sacred cow here and say that from a practical point of view, there's really no value. Well, see, that's the there's thing. There's no、it? value. Let's, well, okay, let's be frank, all right? I'm not trying to offend, and I've done this in the past, I'm not trying to offend you academics out there who've devoted your life to the study of whatever it is, Japanese history, what have you. I'm not, I'm, not try, I'm not going after you, but what I am pointing out, and let's be real, y'all, I mean, there really isn't any practical value to knowing、uh, who Takeda Shingen's 24 generals were and, and this is coming、uh, the from outcome who, of the Genpai War. And, to, to point out, this is coming from someone who, who does have、right. this knowledge, so but, it's you not know, like you're speaking out of school. Yeah, I'm not speaking out of school, exactly, but that being said, 
um, there is no practical. Well, see, I, I you know, okay. I think, I think that samurai are never coming back. The, the the Edo period is never coming back. There's never going to be like, oh, well, look at this. Uh, the Bakufu has been reestablished, and um, well, <laughs> based on my knowledge of 17th century legalistic, uh, da, 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 you know, I can extrapolate that, and, and you know what I mean. It's like, but is there no pra- for for the average Joe on the street? There is no there practical probably value. Is no, probably I mean, is no practical value. but but. It, like, okay, it depends on your profession. It depends on, it depends on, it depends on a lot of things. For specific individuals, I'm sure there's plenty of practical benefit. I well, what? Uh, let's say you're a uh, you're you're a lawmaker and you're dealing with the Constitution, or let's say you're I don't know, you're a uh, uh, what's that called? Uh, uh, you're a diplomat to a particular country and you're dealing with issues that are coming up between the different. Ethnic groups that are, are fighting, infighting in ethnic right, groups. But, but, right, but, but when has our foreign policy ever been informed by past history? <laughs> I mean, we write well, the shit I, up as we go along. See, I, I, do, I, 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 mean, I do have to agree that, you know, the one thing that everyone says is you must learn history so you don't repeat it. But oh, it's fucking Christ. repeated. And it's, it, it is repeated endlessly. People don't learn. No, uh, that's it's the human condition. Let's just let's dispense with that. Now, now, now I, before I, I do want to say though that just because something may or may not have a practical benefit to your day to day life, that does not mean that we're saying don't study history. That does not mean that it's a negative. To Look, study history. I mean, I play video games. Okay, video games have no real. I mean, really, I mean, it, it, for the most part, have no real practical value. I mean, if you if you're an awesome shot in Call of Duty and you work at a um, at a gas station, okay, this is probably not <laughs> going to be very useful to you. Um, but that, I'm not saying, oh, you shouldn't play video games, you know, like, um, so, hold on now, I'm not saying that, uh, but, you know, a uh, 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 master's program in Japanese history is the same as playing Call of Duty, but my point is, <laughs> is that, uh, you know, it's not it's not to say, oh, well, therefore, you shouldn't study history. It's exactly, not that at all, but it's like, again, Let's let's just for a second, y'all. Let, let's be real, okay? It's a hobby, and if we're lucky, some of you might be. But if you're lucky, you can parlay it into a paycheck. That's the practical value, actually. If you can, if you can somehow generate ducats <laughs> off of knowing about the uh, um, Genpai War or the Nambuchukuo or for that matter uh, uh, the campaigns of Darius well, then it has a practical value okay so but that being said for the vast majority of people it really doesn't have a lot of practical value and it's like we you could say well if you know history well then you'll understand the world better but honestly if you're working at staples if you're a roofer which I've done if you're if you work on the road which I've done if you're a video game tester which I've done uh, knowing about the campaigns of Alexander or understanding the nuances of the French Revolution isn't going to have a whole lot of value to you, okay? You're not in a position to where that knowledge will ever... You, you, okay, Obama's not going to invite you to the White House one day and say, you know, what, what, what's your opinion on dealing with the Middle East, okay? I understand you're an expert on this. So <laughs> well, there's, there, there, give, there's uh, give me one, your insight. one person, one or two people out there may have that experience. Yeah, maybe. Out, okay, out of the yeah, yeah. 325 million... I mean, one or two people population. may win the lottery, you know? Uh, one or two people may... You know, fuck a supermodel. I mean, I, anything's possible. But um, uh, so, 
all of that being said, all of that being said, okay, if if we sort of if we just admit that you know what it is kind of like it's a hobby, and if you're lucky, you can parlay a paycheck out of it. All right, that's kind of that's that's history, <laughs> the value of history. Um, well, that being said, though, the the knowledge of specific details probably no practical use to the average person, but the overall intellectual gains from studying history, just the the general betterment of yourself and more well-rounded that you become, I think is just a, that's just a, that's a general benefit to you, you which I don't that's, think Well, there you can say the, in, the indirect, that's when you study history, and, and here's the thing too, say, well, I know history, but you don't know history. You know what you've read, all right? You know what you've read. You don't know history. You weren't there. You know what you've read. Now, the value, actually, you know, uh, uh, in my it, it exactly dovetailing with what you're saying, it's the analytical practice practices. Uh, okay, if you study history with a with an open mind, with an analytical mind, with a skeptical mind, that can have practical value. All right, it may have nothing to do with the subject in question. You know, yeah, the, sp the specific the details, the years, but, and yeah, the your development as a person. You know, uh, in, uh, intellectually, your development intellectually. Now that's a value there. But exactly. You know what? The, there, the caveat though is that you have to actually approach history, the study of history, from an, an individualistic, a personal basis. You have to analyze it. You can't just go to the bookstore, buy a few books, read them on the shitter, and be like, okay, I know history now. <laughs> okay, no. You have to analyze it. it. Whether you're a scholar, whether you're a mailman just doing this on the weekends, you have to analyze. You have to put yourself in the in the picture, basically. You have to, to read something and say, you know what, does this make sense to me? All right. Um, what you know does does the established uh, the accepted view? Now, wh what do I think about that? You know, what what are my own interpretations? Um, and it's not a matter. It, you know, it's not a dick swinging competition. Okay, you, you, there's no right or wrong. It, you know what I mean? It's like it's if you come to a certain conclusion, you're not going to hell if it doesn't ma match up with what everybody else wants to believe. You know, the point is that you you analyze it. And and you you know you draw your own conclusions. So yeah, the, I think that's where the value of it actually you know comes out. And actually, I think uh, I think uh, Nate and Travis would agree with you coming at it from an academic point of view. That we we've kind of talked about it in past podcasts, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it again in future podcasts. But the the scholar's job is to basically do that: read, evaluate, analyze, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And me, I, I'm. I, I'm not an academic. I'm just. I'm an investment consultant. I've got an MBA. I don't have a master's of Asian studies or what have you. But I, I, I think uh, that you know, it, it from someone from pe the people outside of academia, kind of have a sort of cut and dried view of academia. I think where it's kind of like we we just kind of tend to think like, oh, you know, they just read the books and kind of kind of synthesize what they read into yet another sort of treatment or uh, uh, overview or something like that. And it's actually a lot more complicated than that, which I was actually kind of surprised to learn when we did a podcast way off in the past about um, what do historians do, which I don't remember the actual podcast number, but it's up there somewhere. But there, there was sort of the 1940s, 50s, 60s sort of great man theory of history where 
you study the great men and you're you know you're like a Sansom or you're you're a, one of those guys and you kind of look at the overview of history. You say who moved history? This happened. This happened. This happened. Therefore, this happened. You basically tell the story of history from the, the top down. And actually, that's not really what they're doing anymore. They're actually getting a lot more detailed into more getting you know pinpointing specifics and you know it's it's actually pretty interesting. But I do agree that the the utility of knowing the year that Takeda Shingen died. I mean, you you can't really dispute that unless you're going to be on Jeopardy and unless that's a question that comes up doesn't really do you a lot of good but the the intellectual gains that you get from studying history I, I don't think they can really be denied I mean you know anytime you watch like I don't know jaywalking on Jay Leno and he's asking questions and people give these retarded answers and you just smack yourself in the head like what's wrong with kids these days yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. and and, and I, I think just like a, a lack of knowledge of and understanding of history is sort of that that's almost, that's like a sort of an intellectual deficit I, I think and so I think there is a value. And, you know, again, I don't really have an answer about what is the value of studying history as far as what is the utility of studying history. Yeah. I because know. I don't really know if there's a utility of knowing names, dates, and places, but I think the there is the benefit of sort of the general intellectual growth, I guess. I'm, I'm speaking in platitudes because I don't really know how to put it in words, which is part of my problem answering the question when people stop me on the street. I know, which, which I know it happens a lot, so it's, you know, it's, it's always a little awkward moment there. But uh, yeah, no, I I, I agree. I, and when you, 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 it's it's almost like when you talk when you when you approach history. I think there's a couple of different ways you can approach it. You can approach it from, I think, almost as a form of entertainment. I mean, a lot of the history I read, frankly, is kind of almost like entertainment. It's like, okay, well, you know. I'm, I'm eating dinner or taking a shit, and I'm reading about the Battle of Verdun. You but yeah, know, it is it's, funny it's, though, it's because interesting. I, but, but I do feel like I'm gaining something when I'm reading history versus when I'm reading fiction. I don't, I don't know if that's a fact that I'm gaining something, but I feel like I'm actually gaining something when I read history. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, 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 you know, you, I mean, you, you sort of tangentially, you feel better informed. I mean, it's like, okay, well, I guess, uh, you know, I understand a little bit more about this. Well, which leads me to, to the alternative, uh, you know, way where you're approaching history from the point of view of being like, I'm trying to understand the human condition, really. Because that's, if you think about it, ultimately, that's kind of what is history, but basically the tapestry of the, how the human condition is played out for the past uh, seven, eight, ten thousand years. It, it, it like, trying to understand, well, we have, it's almost like, I mean, we're, really, the human race is this ridiculous experiment where you have all of these monkeys who are kind of sentient and it's like <laughs> kind well, of sentient. you know kind of sentient not quite there yet but we're getting there but we're kind of sentient and it's like all right we're going to give them the ability to talk and give them opposable thumbs and we'll see what happens <laughs> and that's where history comes from is, is this experiment playing out um and so yeah it, it, i think you can approach history really trying to understand people and and so i think you can actually you can actually derive Again, it's indirect, but I think you can derive a, a better understanding of people, of the human condition, of social dynamics uh, from history. But on the other hand, I think you do it, it, a lot is in how you approach it. Because I think if you just if you're just approaching it from the point of view of it's entertainment, it's interesting to me, and that's fine. We all have hobbies. I mean, you shouldn't have to justify what you enjoy. And the, the, that's definitely not where I'm coming from. 
you know, is to say that, oh, well, if you read history in your spare time, oh, that's not a worthy endeavor. Now, that's not at all what I'm saying. Um, but uh, if you're studying history, uh, if you're studying history just as entertainment, you know, you, whatever, you might, you, some, like Stephen Ambrose comes to mind. We've talked about him. Yeah, one of my favorite know. uh Yeah, he's, he's entertaining. Historians. Yeah, he's yeah. entertaining. Um, I, 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 I don't know, like, yeah, he's non-academic. You know, and I don't mean that as a pejorative. There I say, a, I'd say he's more of a journalist. I, I'd yeah, give him credit as a journalist. Yeah, he's kind of um, almost oral, like a scribe, like yeah, oral kind historian, of, yeah, journalist. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of like, well, this guy saw did this, and this guy did that, and um, you know, so like, you know, uh, so and you read that, and 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 it's a good story, and um, you enjoy it, and that's fine. Okay, so. But if you're approaching history from the point of view, uh, you can also approach history again from the point of view of you know, why are people the way they are? You know what? what and well, I, I also want to uh, <clears throat> I, I want to be I want to be the first to point out that uh, if it wasn't for all of you scholars and academics out there, there wouldn't be any history to study. This podcast wouldn't exist. Well, we, then, we wouldn't and, we wouldn't gain the the, the right. intellectual benefit of reading what. You historians who are listening to this podcast, give us. So and I, I'd give a nod to Napoleon and Julius Caesar and, and, <laughs> and the GIs on Omaha Beach, and you know they they had a parole in that. Well, you know, if, if, bit, the, you if know. the historians and academics weren't there to sort to tell the story, we wouldn't know about Caesar. We would know well, about Julius Caesar. We well, no, know. Caesar did write his own books. We know about Caesar. Well, okay, we know about we, Caesar. We just, we, there just wouldn't be a vast cottage industry <laughs> 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 analyzing Caesar's words. Um, actually, actually, I know this is really far afield, but um, we should sometime we should talk about Julius Caesar in a way because it, 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 uh, the campaigns, uh, Julius Caesar's books are actually a fascinating example of uh, 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 traditional history versus the sort of more modern analytical kind of unconventional approach to history, you know. But anyway, yeah, forget forget all that. Like yeah, some other time, actually, it's like, uh, sometime off air. Okay. You know, we can I can I can explain what I mean, but because um, it is actually I, I wish I thought about that before this podcast. But um, well, you know that. You know, now now that we've kind of established the value of studying history, I think I think it, it's worth looking at the value of asking what if. It, it's sort of a favorite of some people, like on the forum, for example, like, well, what if uh, what if a samurai fought a ninja, or uh, what if uh, Nobunaga hadn't died, or what if this, what if that? And uh, you know, I, I I think possibly justifiably so. Some people think there's no value in asking what if because you you just can't know. But right. as an intellectual exercise, you can kind of look at, okay, well, if A led to B, B led to C, C led to D, what if A, A leading to B and then B was, was sent off track before it could actually reach C, what would have happened? You know, in, in a way, that, that, that is as much of an intellectual exercise as anything else. In fact, I, I, and I, I think as far as intellectual exercises go, there's probably value in that. And I also feel like it can give you some insight into history by asking what if. Yeah, I mean, you have to look. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think. I mean, I can see both arguments. I, I understand. Like, when there, there, there's definitely a school of thought that it really is pointless to to to, to engage in what if money, money, Monday morning quarterbacking, basically. Um, because yeah, it's 
Okay, look at your own life. All right. Like, not to, to inject the personal into it, you know, to put ourselves, in, which I think is important. I think that, like, that's like the advice I would give to anyone, buddy, whether they be uh, an academic or whether they be somebody just studying history for the, for the, the sheer love of it. Um, try to put yourself in a sense, in the picture, by by saying by looking at your own life, the history of your own life, and think about the big decisions that you've made, okay, the good ones, the bad ones, the inexplicable ones, and we, and we've all had we 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 all engage in what ifs, and when when we look back on our own lives, I mean, what if. What if I'd taken that job? What if I'd gone to a different school? What if I'd asked this given person out? What if I hadn't asked that person out? Uh, <laughs> uh, we've we've all we we've all it's it's part of that human condition. It's a, it's it's an, it's unavoidable. Um, now, as I get older, and I and I think about the decisions that I've made in my life, and some of them have been good, some of them have been tremendously bad. Uh, I realize now that. No decision was ever taken in a vacuum. There was no event that ever happened uh, just in and of itself. That it was the culmination of a long progression of other decisions and other events, a lot of which I had no real control over, trends and so forth. Um, and that we can sort of conveniently place turning points to say, okay, well, this, this is where the next chapter of my life began, or for that matter, this is where the empire began to fall. But really, I think if you go back and you look at it, it's really a very long, organic, continuous cycle of, of, of a myriad number of influences and, and, and the input of, of innumerable people. Um, so you could say that, well, we talk about a what if well you almost can't do it so based on so based on that or well how does that translate to history well it goes we've talked in the past about the great man version of history versus an institutional version of history where you look at you look at the progression of events and is that because of decisions that great men made well well Nobunaga was alive at this time, therefore Japan was unified. Or was Japan moving towards unification? And and it basically it was it was kind of like a horse that was heading to that heading to the water and whoever happened to be riding it was the one who was gonna be there when you know, on the spot. Um like take for example the death of Nobunaga. Right, that's a great what if. In Japanese history. That's probably the biggest one of the great ones. At least of yeah. the of the Sengoku period, the biggest yeah. what if, what if. if what if he hadn't died? Yeah, what if he hadn't died? And or, I, I, I guess it should be pointed out that the Japanese have, have done that over and over again. And there was a, a book that I read a long time ago where basically it was a Japanese book. What happened was uh, he was hit by falling timber and Mori Ranmaru basically pulled him to safety and he was in a coma for months while Hideyoshi basically solidified his rule. And then and then he came out of the coma. But I didn't finish the book, so I don't really know how it happens. But so yeah, so that's yeah, that's one of the classics. That's one of the great what ifs of Japanese history. Now, I think you can kind of look at it from a, a, a couple of different ways. You, you you know, like in a sense, like a a good what a good way to look at what ifs is to sort of turn it on its head and to say that well, what if he hadn't died? Let's imagine for a second he hadn't died. 
Well, what what do we think would have happened? Like how like first of all, like how many years would he have had left? Well, you're already guessing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Of, well, you know, maybe bad based on statistically, he was uh, he was this old when he died. So let's 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 imagine he had twenty more years. I mean, he might have he might have survived Hanaji, and then fallen off his horse two weeks later. And yeah, died or anyway. he could have had he could have had a tumor or something. Yeah, he could have he could have died. Or his 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 liver could have been in the process of give, giving out. Yeah. Uh, so well, I guess we have to assume that he. Let's say, assuming a normal lifespan. Yeah, let's imagine he lived for another 25 years or so. So Nobunaga was about 48-ish when he died, and so, well, let's imagine he had another 20 years. Well, we're already, so again, we're already kind of engaging in, I mean, these what-ifs kaleidoscope into a myriad number of what-ifs. Yeah, so you have to make assumptions, you know, yeah. okay, well, what, let's assume a normal life, he didn't fall off his horse, he didn't have cancer, he didn't, his liver didn't fail from drinking too much sake yeah he 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 lived another 20 years well i think you know you have to you have to look at it in broad strokes and and ask well would he have completed the unification of japan okay well i think we can assume yes he didn't really have a lot of competition remaining okay he was planning on invading shikoku that would have gone ahead as it did in hideyoshi's time only maybe a couple of years early um, the Mori were on the verge the, of falling. Yeah, anyway, the Mori so. were on the verge of falling. I think it's reasonable to assume he would have wiped the Mori out. There, I can't think of any worldly reason he wouldn't have basically dispossessed them. Which might have stretched things another year or two. And then, and then you have to assume that he would have pretty much done the same thing as Hideyoshi did with the Hojo, and and siege Odawara Castle rather. Yeah, than, he would have. Know. He would have probably stormed Odawara. I mean. He again, like I think you see some differences in, in in for individuals. I think if you're the Mori, I don't think you're around for another as Choshu for another two or three hundred years. I think you're fucked, basically. <laughs> um, same thing for Chozakabe. I don't. Th I can't see any worldly reason that Nobunaga would have kept that. Unless around. he didn't think it was worth invading Shikoku to that extent. Maybe well, he just, yeah. okay, just keep your island and stay there. Well, he was planning on doing it, as far as we know. He he had tasked uh, Nobunaga if memory serves. Yeah, I guess that's uh, true. I mean, I guess one of his other on sons, yeah, well, I think Nobuo, I think he, he had he had, he given them some orders. I guess it kind of comes down to how much trouble would the Mori have given him, and would he have had enough to, you know, would he have... Yeah, Nobunaga definitely, if you look at, at what we do know, Nobunaga was not a guy who backed down from... Who backed down, I, I think he was all about fighting them wars. Um, like, so, so in this, in this kind of exercise into fantasy, basically, because it is fantasy when you're talking what if, he probably he would have destroyed the Mori. He would have destroyed the Cho the, the Kozakabe. Maybe destroyed because if you look at it, he really didn't leave anybody standing. Like what do you marched Would he have bothered with Kyushu though? I oh sure, sure. You've got to take Kyushu, especially given his sort of worldly, as we're led to believe, his worldly. I mean, that was he would definitely have taken Kyushu. I think. I think he definitely would have taken Kyushu. You have to. Um, I think you can maybe push it all forward a year or two, but I think you, if you're looking at the, the progression of the blob that was the Oda domain, whether it was under Nobunaga or Hideyoshi, give or take a couple of years, I think it kind of extends outward about the same rate. And with more or less the same results, except that probably with Nobunaga, 
there would have been fewer men standing at the end. I think he would have, you know, he would have wiped out most of these major houses. I don't, I can't envision the Mori having some place in Nobunaga's universe. I, mm. I just don't see it. Um, the Chozokabe, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think poor Motochika is screwed. Um, <laughs> he was screwed anyway. Yeah. But. Now let's, let's imagine that so, okay, we fast forward about seven or eight years. Because they, it's something really to remember that that is significant is that if we if we if we place the unification of Japan as effectively being 1590 when the warlords of the north came down to basically pay homage to Hideyoshi during the uh, the Odawara campaign or the conclusion of it, um, if we accept that as being the 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 end of the true the the formal end of the Sengoku era, that was only eight or so years after Nobunaga died. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that, I mean, know, I guess not, I, not it could time. be argued that Hideyoshi sped up the process by making peace rather than fighting to the bitter end with each house, but... Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he shaved off a year or two, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, realistically, I mean, the chosen cop, the, the cho uh, it's... And, and, you know, it's still, at least in English, it, you know, Hideyoshi's campaigns in his life are still relatively... Apart from Mary Berry's book, um, it's still relatively fertile ground, I think, for further academic study. Uh, you know, what? Why did he spare the Kozakabe? Why, really? They, like he could have wiped them out in a month. Yeah. Um, and and had an extra province to give away to somebody. It's not. I mean, it's kind of interesting. Was it because? Well, at the end of the day, Hideyoshi is the peasant regent. For Nobunaga's infant grandson, for Samboshi, and so he's he's not really he, he doesn't see it in his best interest as basically, for lack of a better word, throwing his weight around gratuitously. Like, oh my God, look at this peasant, this upstart, just destroying these old houses left and right. You know, we got to do something about this guy. Like, I think his diplomacy was, I mean, clearly based on his future. <laughs> Activities. His diplomacy was not based on some enlightened mindset so much as I think it served his purpose at that time. Now Nobunaga, different story. Nobunaga, <laughs> he, he, you know, he sent him the chopping block. He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. Nobunaga don't give a fuck. I mean, so, but but so all right. So now, if again, if we're imagining reasonably, reasonably imagining the the the, the this course of events. Well, circa 1590, in the big picture, not a lot has changed yet. Yeah, there's a few uh, you know, warlords yeah, that, that are, are no longer there. There's some vacancy signs yeah. and some castles, but um, there's a few extra funeral pyres. But And so what does that leave? It leaves Nobunaga. Now, I, I, now this is where it gets difficult, because on the one hand, I, I don't remember where this came from, but there is the... I don't even remember where I heard this, where Hideyoshi had mentioned to someone that, uh, oh, you know, I got the idea of invading Korea from Nobunaga. Yeah, no, that can, that, that did come, I, I've read the same and thing. And I just can't remember where that may have come from, so yeah. don't quote me on that, but let's assume that that's true, just for the sake of our... Actually, I think it was recorded by maybe one of our, one of our learned listeners can, in comments, can enlighten us, but I'm pretty sure that it was recorded by Wait, a Louis Jesuit. Freud? Yeah, by one of the Jesuits, but... Well, okay, so for the sake of argument, let's assume that that's true, that Hideyoshi got the idea from Nobunaga. Well, on the one hand, 
maybe things would have gone maybe things would have gone almost exactly the same nobunaga was like i'm the king of jipangu now and i'm going to extend my power to uh korea and then on to china and so he may have done these korean invasions that that's one thought and that that would basically play towards the you know the impetus of history that history is going in a certain direction regardless of who who is in charge the the inertia is already there and yeah. it basically yeah. just who happens to be there when it when it happens so and and you know then there you go in in that what if well guess what it just tur- it turned out kind of the same maybe the edo period would have turned into the i don't know the azuchi period or something and and maybe it would have been differently it wouldn't have been so what's that fucking brachiosaurus <laughs> but uh, well, I think you could say so. It may, well, I was just going to say it, it may not have been so. It may not have been so bureaucratic as it Who knows? Maybe it would have become more uh, a westernized Japan much sooner. But I mean, then that goes into a whole other sort of theoretical construct that I don't know if we're necessarily equipped because we've already gone from what if to what if to what if. But there's there's that, and then there's well, what would have Nobunaga really done differently? Would he would he have tried to? first consolidate his power and then westernize I, I suppose well, this I, is the other theory rather than invade Korea I think that's the major branch I, I think had Nobunaga lived the next what if would have started right there would he or or what would have happened would he have invaded Korea and China assuming he'd get through Korea which he probably couldn't or would he have tried yeah, to that, westernize that was only going to go one way defeat yeah um, exactly yeah now, now let, I'd say I absolutely believe that Nobunaga would have launched the current Korean campaigns absolutely and now I think that I I think that the introduction of the westerners to Japan I think the impact of it has been minimized academically in recent years I think there's a I definitely, I mean, even when I was going to college and, and I took a few East Asian classes, and this is, I'm, I'm getting to be an old man now, so it's going back a little ways. But even then, there was kind of an effort to, to minimize it. Well, you know, they showed up and they were kind of a fad, basically. And, and uh, you know, so, but, but you know, let's not, let's not think that they meant that much. But Well, then we probably shouldn't say in recent years, we should probably say in years past. Right, but in the <laughs> long view of, of the academic <laughs> tradition, you know, I think 20 years is, you could say, in relatively recent years. But um, so yeah. That being said, I, I I that being said, I think that it did have a profound impact on the mentality of some of these guys. I I think that I think that if there are no Europeans, if the Europeans don't arrive on the scene, if if the likes of Nobunaga and by extension Hideyoshi are not illuminated as to the wider world, as to this this dynamic, uh, 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 greater cosmos that they're a part of. I don't think that there's as much of a motivation to become an empire to, for, for imperialism. I, I think that I definitely believe, and, and I couldn't back this up, it's just one man's opinion, but I definitely believe that Nobunaga and by extension Hideyoshi were inspired or influenced by the sense of the the wider world that was kind of put in their heads by the by contact with the wider world in the form of the Europeans now 
there's something we should there's something important we should remember and and this and this this points to the danger of looking at any part of history in a vacuum as to the question of well would nobunaga have westernized versus how we traditionally see the tokugawa mindset which is well, they're going to become isolationist and cut themselves off i think we have to remember too that that the the western focus was shifting by the end of the Sengoku period, by, by the 17th century. There, there wasn't as much interest in the fringes of East Asia. The, 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 the attentions of the, of the colonial powers, for lack of a better word, were, were, were focused elsewhere at that time. That, you know, the Japan, Japan just wasn't as interesting to the West. There, there wasn't... So, you could kind of say that even if Nobunaga had 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 lived 1600 and 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 there hadn't been this sort of isolationist mentality that the more the effect kind of would have been the same there might have been a little bit more trade that that maybe all right there there might have been a little bit more western influence but i think for the most part it would have kind of been about the same well i guess it depends did nobunaga see the westerners as a means to an end they have what he needs uh, or was he actually fascinated with them and, and interested? I, I absolutely think he was. Again, that, that's a that's a point of debate. I know academics, some academics debate it, and and that's fine. But from just one from just one layman's point perspective, I absolutely think that Nobunaga was fascinated by the Western. But if he was fascinated, rather than just seeing them as a means to an end, don't you think he would have he would have continued to incorporate them into his court and into his life and so on and so forth? I, I, I think that, I think, again, yeah, I think there would have been a little bit, they would have had a, a warmer reception under Nobunaga than they did under Ayasu. I mean... You don't think he would have gotten to the point where he's, he's grandiose and he feels like he wants to become a part of, well, I know it sounds absurd now, but I suppose in those times, you know, a part of, quote-unquote, Europe, where, you know, he wants Japan to be an, an international country. I mean, it, it sounds absurd now because they're so far away and they're in boats, but... You know, to, to someone like Nobunaga, who may not have had a true concept of the scope of the world at that time. Well, I, I think that's what motivated Hiyoshi. I think he. I think that's what I really. Th I don't buy that the Korean invasions were. Oh, here's a here's a, a chance for us to Lead expend the yeah expend the energies of all of these samurai. That that seems like that seems like something only an academic could come up with. Like that that that. You know, from the vast time side of history, that I think Hideyoshi, I think that was an effort to become a major player on the global scene. Okay. It wasn't just his grandiose insanity. No, his his I, his, uh, his, his uh, yeah, uh, syphilis. Syphilis. Yeah, yeah syphilis. <laughs> he's losing his fucking mind. He's I, like, I've got a brilliant idea. I've got a great <laughs> idea. Let's invade the kingdom of the Ming. <laughs> Now, when I, when I, and this kind of goes back to, again, like my advice to people for what it's worth, <laughs> is to, if you study history, well, why ever you study history, whether it's professionally for the sake of entertainment to try to understand, again, the human condition, or just to understand the world a little bit better, I think it's, it's, it's our, our privilege and our right mm -hmm. to, to sort of, again, to filter it through our own perspective, to, to, to turn it into a personal sort of, of, of endeavor. And so that, that being said, that caveat, when, when I look at the invasion of Korea, as ill-fated and as monumentally 
tragic as it was. Uh, it, it, it was horrible. But when, when I look at it, I see it as almost perfectly Japanese, like a perfect, perfectly Japanese response to their the opening of their global consciousness through the arrival of the Europeans. That I think they 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 just as a, as a people, the Japanese as a people, very conscious I think of their place in the world, and I think it, it, their 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 position in the world I think more maybe than some others uh, is kind of central to their collective consciousness. So, so that okay, well they they realize well okay well this great big world and it's kind of you got all these movers and shakers you've got these you know these these stinky barbarians who are <laughs> are going to different countries and colonizing them and they're 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 they're, they're taking over all this stuff and uh, i i think i think if you if if you're a J japanese uh, you know I, I think you're like we want to be a part of this mm. we, we don't want to be some backwards uh country that's just you know not not relevant and and, and i think that and I, I'm sure there there are people. There are plenty of people, uh, and I welcome it who would utterly disagree. But I I think that when Hideyoshi invaded Korea, I think that was his gambit to be like, we're going to put ourselves on the map. You hmm. know, we're we're going to be an empire, and after we take Korea and, and China, you know, maybe we'll take the Philippines. We, you know, we'll dominate the Pacific. I I really think that even in the context of the 16th century. I, th I think that's where their minds were. I, I think I, he was really thinking that far ahead, though. I absolutely do. This I old syphilitic peasant. Yeah, I, I personally, I absolutely do. I think that we have to remember that if there's one thing that absolutely holds true, it may, it may, like as much as I tend now to subscribe to again the institutional version of history, that a lot of history is is explained by trends. By, by social developments, by the inertia, you know, is a good word, the inertia of history. I still think you need visionaries. I think you need, you need guys and girls who have true vision, and that's what separates a lot of these. I mean, take Napoleon. What was Napoleon? He, he, was, the, he was a Corsican who could barely speak French when he was a child. I mean, he... he he can you imagine? You know, it's like he's as remarkable a story as Hideyoshi, but he really did have a vision. I, I absolutely believe that Napoleon, at a fairly young age, was like, you know what? I, I kind of like to rule France. <laughs> you know, like maybe, maybe he didn't have it all mapped out, but I, I think that was probably somewhere in the back of his mind. I, I, I think that if you, if I think if you're Peyton Manning. I don't think you win a Super Bowl unless, kind of, most of your life you're kind of thinking, you know, I'd like to win a Super Bowl, or okay. or blow another Super Bowl. Okay, well, you know, <laughs> come on, he won one, <laughs> but uh, you know, or John Elway, all right. So you know, if you're John Elway, <laughs> you win two back-to-back -back Super Bowls in epic fashion. Or you know, if you're Dan Marino, you 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 always want. To win a Super Bowl and never quite. Well, for it. every Hideyoshi, you've got to have an Ashita Mitsunari. <laughs> doesn't quite. Well played, so well played. <laughs> it doesn't quite hit. Doesn't quite get there. Uh, no, I absolutely do think that that uh, I think Hideyoshi was thinking globally. I mean, not not globally in the sense of how we would think of globally, but 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 
I think he was thinking big. I, I think he was thinking big. He wasn't, I don't think he, he saw, he was content with, okay, well, I'm just going to be another Minamoto Yoritomo, and I'm going to have my little court, and, and I'm going to go to a bunch of ceremonies and so forth. So like I guess to call back to about 45 seconds ago, I, I guess he ha- himself may have had a Napoleon complex. Yeah. He, I'm a, I, I was a, dirt, a millet-grubbing dirt farmer, and I, I'm going all the way. Screw these guys and these samurai. I'm going to show them who's who's really the amazing. Well, this is where I think one thing you can interject quickly. One can interject here is that history, as much as it's framed as being the study of our artifacts and documents and sites and so forth. Human psychology has to be a massive part of history because what is history again but the study of all of these hairless monkeys? Well, you know, ironically, it seems that the, the sort of psychological examination of history never really caught on. It, I, th- I think it did at one point and then it was just kind of dismissed. Yeah, I, because it's, it's... Which I kind of feel like, in a way, it makes sense because I, I, I originally planned on getting a, a master's degree or PhD in psychology and I, it's, having studied, studied it... It's still an infant science, and although I do think personality psychology is is really fascinating and important, and I think useful, and would be useful in looking at history, but I don't think it's ever caught on, and since it's it's sort of a separate discipline, I don't think it ever really will, unless a a psychologist decides that they want to sort of tackle history, and I don't know if that'll ever happen, but... I know, and even if they do, who knows the results? Yeah, because obviously a psychologist is not a historian, and vice versa, so it's kind of like you know, two unrelated disciplines, and I don't, I don't really know how that yeah, works. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't envision fucking Dr. Phil writing about history. I don't, I, I don't think that plays well. I don't think that works out well. I don't well. know. I don't, I, is he really a doctor? I, uh, <laughs> I don't think he's a doctor. <laughs> Dr. Phil, I mean, I thought, oh my God. But so... <laughs> Yeah, no, and then, I, well, and then comes Hideyoshi. Yeah, <laughs> and no. that guy decided that he was gonna invade Korea. Now, what was he thinking? Yeah. My God, <laughs> what a megalomaniac! <laughs> he was a man who never dealt with his own issues, <laughs> and instead he took it out on the people around him, <laughs> uh, particularly the people of Korea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, I I think maybe you could say that when I, yeah, maybe human psychology isn't the right word, because I am pretty fucking skeptical about the term psychology. I don't think there's a science to human beings. I really well, don't. Well, I, maybe I, there I, I is. Maybe you could Maybe you could say, well, there's this personality type. But you ever notice the one thing about psychology is that we, we want to believe that people can be typed, but we don't really think we can be typed that easily. We, nobody likes it. Nobody, if there's anything any human being hates, it's being told, this is why you do what you do. Nobody likes to be, you know, if anyone says differently, they're full of shit. You know, if, if I go to somebody and if I were to say to them, I think this is your personality type, you've made this decisions because of X, Y, and Z, they're going to tell me to go fuck myself. I don't know. I, I, you know, having having actually studied psychology, I I, I kind of have to disagree. But well, <laughs> I mean, look, take we we talked about he, uh, Napoleon. All right, what would qualify me or you to judge he, Napoleon's psychology? 
Well, see, that's that's where the history comes in, and, and you and you'd have to look at the decisions that he made, and, and you'd have to make inferences on why he. And so, ba- basically, it's just, it, it more than anything else, it's, it's simply an intellectual task, which who knows if it's even possible or not. All right. I mean, well, let me put it another way. Okay, here's another great historical figure, John Elway. All right. <laughs> Can you really put yourself in John Elway's mind going into that Super Bowl with the Packers? I mean, really? Can can you really think? You know what I mean? Can you really envision yourself as? Oh, I understand what was going through John Elway's head as he took the field, quarterbacking an under uh, an underrated team. See, that's the problem with interdisciplinary. That's the problem with with uh, disciplines that aren't actually really technically related, or at least in, in our construct of academia, they aren't related. That's that's sort of the problem, and I think that that sort of that's that wall between like psychology and history or. I don't know, anthropology and political science or, or what have you. I think there's artificial walls that were built just for convenience that, that unless they're breached, you know, we're not really going to be able to go there effectively. Well, well, I mean, yeah. And, and, I mean, and, and I think my point in bringing this up is to say that in the case of Hideyoshi, all right, I would argue, look, when Hideyoshi invaded Korea, it wasn't because he was insane. It wasn't as some Machiavellian scheme to bleed off his, you know, these other daimyo, because that doesn't even make fucking sense, because, you know, it was those who would arguably be most beholden to him that he sent off to Korea to get to lose all their men, um, whereas the Tokugawa, who, were, who even Hideyoshi had to know were realistically was his most likely, you know, competitor... Didn't have to send a man, as far as I know. Well, I would liken it to an algebra uh, algebra problem because it's like you have, you know, you have a black box. You have x plus y equals seventeen. You know, x could be sixteen and y could be one. That would equal seventeen, so that's a reasonable explanation. But you know, x could be ten and y could be seven. So. That's kind of the problem. Since we don't know what's in the black box, we don't know what's going on in his head. All we can do is guess. We can come up with a lot of theories, and some of, and many theories equally as valid as the other, without actually factually, you know, without actually not even asking him because he could just make something up. But without knowing what's going on in his head, there's no real way to know. And so the best we can do is sort of just educated guess. Right. But that being said, I think that if you look at so if you look at now, we talk about the great man version. I mean, do you of really history. think he's he's that calculating? Do, do you think that you become the Tycho and not be? Yeah, that's a good point. But I, I mean, that, 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 that well, that's a, that's the core of my. Well, then you're saying, that. well, oh, well, I mean, if that's the case, then maybe he, it, it, the the like you just said, the Machiavellian idea that he's going to bleed off the troops. That's just as calculating as. Right, know. but but it doesn't even make sense. Okay, if he was sending off the Tokugawa, if he was like, "All right, oh, Ayasu, yeah. you know, <laughs> you, you know, you, you, guess what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor you with a vanguard and my my foolhardy invasion <laughs> of the Ming Dynasty." Um, no, I don't really think so. And again, that's just one man's opinion. But I, I don't buy that he he saw this as some way to bleed off. That's a good I point. Mean, what, he, what, he would be sending all of his enemies essentially. If yeah, if he case. was really, he would have been. He wouldn't have been sending. The Mori, all right, and he wouldn't have been sending the the um, the, the Kozakabe. Like he, I think he would have been sending other people, and I, 
like why didn't all right if that if that's the if that's the inevitable outcome of the unification of Japan why didn't Minamoto Yoritomo ship off all the surviving Taira adherents to invade Korea he could have you know I <laughs> you know why why didn't Ashikaga Takauji do it all right what well, you know why why wasn't that in their minds all right now I think that if you're this is where I'm coming from if if you're a guy like Hideyoshi who has parlayed, um, and we, we like to joke about it, but again, we do have to remember that his background wasn't as significant in the context of the 16th century as it would have been, obviously, 100 years later. I mean, there were a lot of dudes who rose to prominence in the 16th century that didn't come from exalted samurai background. All right, we know that. But, but that being said, I think that if you're a guy who can parlay your origins as the you know the son of a peasant into being the leading generalissimo in Japan I think you have to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that this is a dude who thinks big this is a guy who doesn't think like you and I he doesn't he's not concerned like you like okay we're, we're normal human beings I guess you could say or re regular human beings what are we worried about uh, paying the rent. Uh, where are my meals coming from next <laughs> week? Uh, is my boss pissed at me? Uh, this is the, okay. We're, we're not thinking like a man who became the Taiko mm. of Japan, who who had a hundred thousand men at his disposal. He's on a whole other plane here. Like he's this dude is is he's larger than life. All right. So giving him the benefit of the doubt alone like that's what you know I would say yeah I think he was thinking big I think he really was thinking I'm gonna put Japan on the map alright anybody can just conquer this place and unify it I'm gonna put Japan on the map I, you know I, I'm going to enter this 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 wider world and I don't think okay now to fast forward a few years I don't think that's where Ayasu is coming from at all I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I think Ayasu was a whole lot more conservative. I think he was like, you know what, I'm, I'm just pretty much happy being the Shogun. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not... I, I'm not he, he saw the grandiose ideas that got everyone killed over the, over the course of his life, I suppose, and decided, to, and, and just his conservative nature allowed him to survive. So, yeah, I guess you can see that. Yeah, there's almost a parable there that, unfortunately, the visionaries tend to, to, to not win the day, ultimately. You know, the conservative tends to you know, stay the course ultimately, and and I think that Hideyoshi was perfectly happy being another, obviously another Minamoto Yoritomo, and um, you know, so, but but okay, so all of that is to basically suggest that probably the invasion of Korea would have gone forward. I think I think you can make at least a reasonable argument. So we're back to had Nobunaga survived. Had Nobunaga, had Nobunaga lived, I think you could reasonably suppose that the invasion of Korea would have gone forward. And, and then you can reasonably suppose it would have failed. It would have gone miserably. precisely the same way, because it was foolhardy. And then Nobunaga would have died with... Well, he would have had heirs, though, so I suppose it would have been a slightly different situation than the situation Hideyoshi was left in. Yeah, let, now, okay, so now let's, again, now, like, supposing the Korea goes forward, supposing it ends as miserably as it did in real life. Um... All right. Well, they probably are a little chastened by that. There's, there's, you know, Nobunaga's getting old. Let's imagine he's still alive. He's getting old. 
It's like, all right, maybe, maybe we'll curtail our efforts to establish ourselves like on the world scene. Um, and he, you know, I think they would have probably turned inward a little bit. Most nations usually do after failed foreign foreign adventures. They tend to turn inward for a little while, and so it sort of turns inward. And this again, this this would correspond to a time when the European interest in that part of the world was waning for various reasons, which is just a whole another whole another subject. But let let's assume that you know Oda Nobutada doesn't die falling off his horse or something. And let's He's assume his, his grandson, of course, would have also grown up. Who I, right. I suppose he would have been around 20-something at that yeah. point. And and so let's imagine that Nobunaga dies around the same time as C.D. Oshii did. Which is, isn't unreasonable. Yeah, it's not unreasonable. Again, this, this is all just kind of a a mind fuck, basically. I mean, you don't really know. I mean, who knows? But we're all just we're going down the path of imagining reasonably. So if we assume that he that Nobunaga dies around eh, fifteen ninety nine ish, sixteen hundred ish, sure. sure. Hidetada, And I'm, I'm assuming though also he wouldn't have had nearly the opposition that Hideyoshi had because Nobunaga would have probably killed most of them and probably sent the rest of them to Korea. Right, and on the other hand, he he might have been in a similar position because uh, you know there's a lot of guys who've been under Nobunaga's thumb now for a long time, and maybe there's a lot of bad blood. And you know, actually, Nobunaga's personality—if you, you know, once yeah. Japan was uh, once Japan was sort of under his rule, then he might start to look towards his, his own retainer band to start uh, pruning. Yeah, there. you know, like Hideyoshi would have been the first to go. Yeah, yeah, well, Hideyoshi <laughs> would have been screwed. Um, but so, uh, if you if you if you fast forward, then I think he I think Nobutada, in a way, has to kind of deal with the same issues as Ayasu. Well, what do I do about all of these Christians? What 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 do I do with all of these warlords who still control a lot of the country, and though they they give me fealty uh, do I trust them like what, what what do I do with these guys so well they're, they're they are like a generation closer because they, they would have you know uh, un- under our theory they would have destroyed all of the main opponents leaving you know vassals in in control I suppose right right so it's not like you know it's not like you have the mori out there you know and the chosokabe or the the Shimazu or what have you right so. but you you might end up though with with sort of all right so you don't have you don't have the Shimizu controlling all this land in Kyushu, but maybe you have the the Sasa, all right. And so, even though the Sasa were your va- vassals, your retainers at one point, there's still these guys with a bunch of land and a bunch of troops. And yeah, they gave my father Nobunaga a whole lot of loyalty, but I don't know about me. Hmm. You know what? what like how how sure can I be about this this Shibata Katsuye guy? All right, you know, like I know how old sure. Old man Shibata. Yeah, old man Shibata <laughs> and old man Maida. They sure control a lot of land, and uh, I don't know. So I guess the whole point that I would be driving at is that things would have kind of ended up the same in the long run. Of kind of turned out the same way in the long run. Like we were talking off. Off camera, or off, about off, off audio. I off audio about how, like, you knew that you wanted to study in Japan. Yeah, yeah. I um, guess I should, I should, yeah. I should, I should illustrate this, and then you can take it. But yeah, I was thinking. So, 
in a personal example, and this I think this goes for a lot of people, between the age of, of zero and, say, 18, you don't have a lot of control over your own destiny. You have the day-to-day stuff like, oh, am I going to wear boxers today or briefs? And, you know, will I wear my, my Nikes or my Reeboks or whatever. But you don't really have any life-changing decisions until you graduate high school. Then you have, like, will I go to college? Will I do this? Will I do that? In my case, well, I'm not even a good example because I, I applied to, like, four colleges and only got accepted to one, but... <laughs> but, uh, let's, uh, but let's let's but uh, let's for the sake of argument. So uh, I, I applied to like four. You know, I might have actually gotten accepted to Orno. I think I think I did actually. And I think I think it was Farmington that was like, oh, we'll pass. So anyway, <laughs> so yeah. So uh, to to just do a quick illustration. So from zero to eighteen or so, you really don't have a lot of control over your life. It's it's your parents make your decisions for you. You have the day to day stuff. You know, and assuming you don't, uh, you know, get hit by a car or, you know, I don't know, drink too much and die of liver failure or whatever, you know, whatever. So you're 18 and then you then you have to make the life changing decision. Do I go to college here or here or do I not go to college and do this? So in my example, when I was in high school, I decided that I was going to go to Japan. So basically, when I went to college, it just so happened that the person living upstairs from me. I think it was upstairs. Anyway, so she told me about the exchange program, and I was like, that's what I was looking for, and I, and I made it my mission to go to Japan, and I did. Not mission in the sense of, like, Mormon. <laughs> Just my personal, my personal choice to go to Japan. So anyway... Uh, but you know, I, I, I kind of realized just today, off the cuff, that had I even had I gone to another college, I probably still would have ended up in Japan. And so, even though the life-changing choices would have been different, the end result may have been pretty similar. So, that's kind of what that was sort of what kind of got us on this topic for the podcast in the first place was that kind of idea that maybe I wouldn't go as far as saying like predetermined or predestined but there is sort of an inertia to your life right inertia yeah sort of an inertia that you're you're headed in a particular direction and the path may be different depending on the choices you make but in the long run it it may end up more or less essentially in a very similar result so anyway let this let the jaywalk squad Book the Jaywalker Dano. Book the Jaywalker Dano. <laughs> so, I think that in the final analysis, as far as what ifs of history, and right. again, I understand why a lot of, I guess, historians or academics would, would sort of not see the value in it or poo poo it a little bit. Like, I, I get it. I get why. But I think you could make a case that if you make any firm assumption about history. If your thesis, for example, is, all right, World War II occurred because of Adolf Hitler, because Adolf Hitler became the Chancellor of Germany. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not arguing that point. I'm just saying as an example, a possible thesis. All right, my thesis is that World War II occurred because Adolf Hitler became the Chancellor of Germany, and this set off a chain reaction of events that led to the invasion of Poland and so forth. Well, even to make a statement like that, I have to engage as a historian in the, in this hypothetical in a certain amount of what ifs because I, I really would have to, 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 to analyze the alternatives. It's like, well, what if there wasn't an Adolf Hitler? Can I, can I still envision a way in which World War II could have happened? 
And if you can, in yeah. a way, you're saying that your theory is your thesis yeah, is kind of wrong. Yeah, if, if I'm like, well, you know what? At the end of the day, they still were a whole lot of pissed off Germans who weren't too happy about the the end of World War One, and and they weren't happy about the Versailles Treaty, and you had the Depression, and you know, like, well, maybe somebody else could have come along, or maybe it would have happened anyway. Okay, well, I guess I can't say that World War Two happened because of Adolf Hitler. So it's in a way, it's a way to back test your, your yeah, thesis. You know, you're putting your, you have to put your thesis through a certain litmus test and, and I think part of that litmus test is, is rationally and to the extent that, that you know, to, to a rational extent, to, to kind of engage in a little bit of, 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 of daydreaming about, well, what, 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 what are the alternatives? Alright, if, if I'm going to say that this happened because of this, well, then I'm going to have to at least give a moment to think about, well, what, what about the alternative? You know, like, like, you know, and, and again, you, know, you can kind of bring this back to your own life if you're like, oh my God, if I hadn't married this person, my life would have been so much better. <laughs> you know, well, it's like, well, okay, if you're going to, if that's your thesis, if that's your, if that's your core assumption, you have to kind of really realistically be like, well, okay, if I hadn't married that person or if I hadn't, wh whatever it is, well, can I, can I still draw a clear line to, a wonderful life, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, is it is it that obvious? Is it that cut and dry? So I I think again the argument is is that whether we like it or not, if you study history, whether it's a history of of the world, the history of Japan, the history of your own life, you have you you have to kind of engage in a certain amount of what if for you. <laughs> I, th I think the utility of that, work. yeah, the utility of that, I think, is to look back even further. Like, let's say your thesis is well. The uh, randomly Hideyoshi, the, the the reason for the Korean invasions was specifically Hideyoshi. Well, if you say, do, deal in the what ifs, and you say, well, what if what if Hideyoshi hadn't been in charge? What if it was someone else? What if it was Nobunaga? And then you and and you kind of and it seems reasonable that they would have happened anyway. Then, then there actually there may have been another cause that wasn't the one that you're looking at. Right, maybe maybe right, there's a right. core cause, and that core cause, I think, based on what we've talked about. I'm pulling this out of my ass, but just, it's just the 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 the, the whole the Japan as a as a country as a society engaging with the outside world with the West was more was the catalyst that eventually led to Hideyoshi deciding to invade Korea. So therefore, you you sort of check your theory, and you, you maybe you get a little more insight into your thesis. I guess. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that yeah. seems to me that that's kind of the point we're making. Yeah, the, the, right. Yeah, the, yeah I'd agree. That basically, I think that if we see, if, if, and in a way, it sort of it folds back on a point we, I think we were making in the very beginning of this about that if there is a practical value, like a real individual practical, real-world value to the study of history, it has to be found in, in our own development of our intellect and in, in our anal, in our analytical skills. And I think it, that that's part of it, is that you have to look at something a little three-dimensionally. I think you, you have to you have to look at history as as not just a set of events and, and, and see them as sort of uh, uh, singular moments in time. You have to you have to look at the, the broader picture. And part of that, part of that, I would say, is in you know theorizing a little bit. It is theory. It is sort of as we said, um, examining the what ifs. Well, you know, it's interesting because it never really even occurred to me until this specific 
conversation that yeah asking th- there actually is a value in asking what if when I started th- when we started this podcast I didn't even really consider it but I guess in a way in one way one one value of asking what if is to sort of back test your own your own thesis statement yeah 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 I would agree that you you have to it is sort of to some extent you have to, it, it, it's part of a litmus test yeah you could say if, so if a cause well my thesis or my theory is a caused b well what, was there anything else that could have caused b and if 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 there is something else that could have caused b that came before a let's say then then maybe maybe there's a core cause which then caused a to cause b i mean that's that i don't have any sort of theory to back this up or theorem or anything like that it's just sort of an idea I, I think it seems to me that asking what if is useful. I can't really argue that it's useful, but I, I kind of get the feeling now at this point that maybe it is. No, I, I absolutely do. And again, I think it's in some sense it is integral to it, that practical application that we've been talking about. That I think that, it, again, in our own lives, it would probably behoove us in our own lives, looking at the course of our lives. And we all have our regrets and we have our our, our kind of you know, in the back of our head, wow, I wish that had played out a different way, or I wish I'd done this, or I wish I'd done that, or why, what the fuck was I thinking when I did that? I I think that there is a lot of value in engaging in in, in, in sort of some non-linear, what if, can you use the expression, what ifery, <laughs> engage in some what ifery, um, because I, I think sometimes, um, it, it really would kind of give us... I, I think the results might sometimes surprise us a little bit. You know, to be like, you know what? Wow, I, I really... Uh, looking back, I... I no matter, that, that was going to play out no matter how... What I did. Hmm. You know, and, and I think that you know, it, the same goes for the study of history. Um, I think that, in, in a sense, I, my, my own general, if not ardent belief is that what the the what ifery <laughs> technique tends in my experience to support the institutional version of history that history isn't okay a couple of like strong men every few years who basically tell everybody else what to do and that's history follows their uh, you know their ego basically that that you know, history is about human society and collective consciousness evolving, you know, through various transmutations over the centuries, and that um, it's almost like that's the ocean and it, 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 these movements in history are like waves, and certain people are going to be at the top of it. All right, you are going to have your Nobunagas or your Minamoto Yoritomos, or for that matter, your Hideki Tojos, who, who are at that, who kind of personify though though those those like trends but that probably were going to happen those guys were just nominated out of a pool of potential figureheads um that again if it hadn't been tokugawa ayasu it probably would have been somebody else and the results would have been probably more or less the same if 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 not in detail than in overall substance, if you get what I, if you get what I mean. Well, uh, far be it from us to give sort of a fatalistic view or a uh, a deterministic sort of view of of life or history, because 
in looking back on your own life, maybe you made ter a terrible decision and you could justify it by saying it was going to happen anyway and this is what the result was. But, but you know, you can always say, make a better decision next time. <laughs> Based well, on I your mean, as, as <laughs> Americans, this is taboo. It's absolutely taboo to suggest that we don't have absolute control over our destinies. It's, it's horrifying actually, to the American psychology. Not so much to, to other certain other people around the world, but as an American, you know, I can't speak for Canadians or Australians or anybody else, but as an American, we're absolutely born and bred to believe that life is 100% free will. And so when we approach history, I think there's a tendency to assume the same. Um, but... Uh, I don't think history bears that out. I really don't. I don't. I don't think so. I, I, that's just one man's opinion. But uh, I'll leave it to the masses to uh, draw their own conclusions. But I, I, I feel that uh, that word inertia. You could almost say entropy in some cases, but inertia comes into play. That we are ultimately history. We our own lives. I mean, our own lives. We we're 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 kind of like driftwood on this vast heaving ocean of history where we are in our lives has been dictated to some extent by everybody that's ever come before us and events that are entirely beyond our you know and that's not some crazy metaphysical shit that's that's a fact uh, I mean we we're the product of history our own lives uh, so I, I you know that's kind of where my own thinking is, is that I think when we look at history, I, I think you could, to put this in academic kind of, in, in academic ease, or academic speak, it goes back again to the institutional study of history or the, the social study of history, that you have to look at trends and, and the movements of populations and, and so forth, rather than, well, strongman A decided he was going to invade this country and then strongman B invented this religion and, and so forth and so on. I, th I think we th there's there's a collective there's a lot of collective currents at work in history that aren't so easily encapsulated in dates and names. I think we've pretty much established that. I think what if is a valuable question to ask. I mean, I I, I don't think I I do understand. I suppose the the view that well you can't really ask because it, it kind of in a way that sounds like what we would say you can't really ask what if because you can't really know. But I, I feel like our what was our our other you know, our other podcast was kind of like, what can you really know about history? In, in, uh, in that same vein, how can you really ask what if? Because it's a question that really can't be answered. Yeah, now, I think that what, 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 I, what I think, what I know where I'm driving at, maybe what we're driving at, is that when you approach history, whether, again, whether you are an academ academic or just a casual Student, dilettante. A dilettante, or, or what have you. A journeyman, however you want to look at it. It behooves you to approach it unconventionally and with an open mind. And, and to really... Um, you can't just look at documents and what other historians have written. You, ha you, you have to really approach it from a fresh, personal perspective. Bring, bring, bring your own assets into the game basically bring, bring your own perspective you know put your own sort of spin on things and that 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 holds absolutely true again for academics well people have stated that that's exactly what academic modern modern 21st century academics are doing so 
the the sort of the Sansoms and the 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 you know the 1960s and 1950s versions of history is, is de most definitely not what's going on nowadays. Is, is what has been stated to me, and yeah. I accept that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And, and and now I think that really, as it, okay, so if you if you were to talk specifically about academics, then then not being an academic myself, I would nonetheless uh, uh, humbly suggest that one should one should not give way to the inevitable peer pressures and there's going to be those peer pressures you you look every visionary every guy that came up with a new idea is going to get some shit it's just it's it, it doesn't matter what profession you're in it doesn't matter what you're studying or what you're doing you are going to get some shit for it and you are going to get you're going to get taken to the mat and you're going to get cracked in the mat. You're going to get, yeah, as they say out here on the islands, you're going to get cracked in, cracked in the mat. Uh, and I would only hope that for the old, for the betterment of people like myself and everybody else, that you hold to your course. You know, if, you, if, if you've arrived at conclusions that don't necessarily add up to, uh, with what, you know, the, the established view is, uh, stick with it and get it out there. And, and, and add your voice to the mix because you never know 20 years from now your view might have become the, the standard view but at least if you get it out there you give people like me and you know who aren't part of academia and who are just studying all of this to try to better understand the world you give us an alternate point of view that we can kind of judge for ourselves I think Noel Perrin took your advice a little too much to heart Right, but you know what? It's like uh, okay. Here's like a, a great, like like a historian that I really enjoy is Niall Ferguson. He's he's a he's an English historian. Um, he's written a couple of really good books, or, or certainly and a few controversial ones. And he does have a habit of of making controversial statements. Um, and I don't even agree with a lot of his conclusions. But you know what? It's like, and, and a lot of other people don't, but. Nonetheless, I love the fact that he's out there. I love the fact that he's offering these kind of alternative explanations for 20th century history. Because that allows me, who ultimately, I mean, what is the point in studying and teaching history if not to educate or to at least assist in the development of regular people? All right, you know, like I don't really understand. Like all that being said, like I'm not anti-academia. I am anti-academia existing purely as a sort of self-contained machine. All right, well, it's like, I, I don't see the value in writing, um, studying something for the benefit of the 20 other people studying it. All right, you know, and it's just this sort of incestuous kind of, you know, self-contained little world. I think that if you, I really do think that if you're a scholar, a, a scholar, if you're an academic, ultimately I think you, you really, you're trying to educate everybody. You're trying to really improve the overall consciousness, you know, of uh, people's consciousness of history or what have you. Um, so... You know, like again, I, like I like the fact that you have guys like Niall Ferguson out there. And again, I don't agree with a lot of the things. He definitely is a far more conservative bent to history than I have, but in some respects, but especially his economic views. But you know what? He's out there. He he hasn't bowed 
to his detractors. He's still, he's still, he's out there. So I, I'm able as a, as a person to absorb what he has to say to kind of fit it into my own, my my own, you know, kind of throw it in the stew and going on in my own head. And and some of it I accept, and some of it I throw out. But I'm 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 a more learned person for it. So that that's my long-winded point that. If you are an academic, if, if you are going to devote your life to the study of something, for, for the, in this case, Japanese history, you know, just go with what you believe. Uh, go with what you believe and don't, don't, don't cave in. Because even if you're wrong, at least bring up some good talking points because <laughs> it's going to benefit people. It really is. So that's your advice to the budding historians out there? Absolutely. All right. And smoke a lot of dope. Smoke weed. <laughs> get yourself, get yourself a, a forty and a fat ass dime. Like one, of, one, of, one of his works that springs immediately to mind is the Pity of War, which was his 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 work on World War One, which is a subject that I find especially fascinating. And he he arrives at, at at a number of conclusions that, to some extent, fly in the face of the established view of the war, including how the war started and how the war was actually viewed by the people at home and how the war was actually viewed by the men in the trenches. And, and, and he challenges a lot of um, assumptions, or, or not assumptions, but he challenges a lot of uh, um, kind of tried and true tropes as far as, as our, our, our image of World War I. Um, he's He's Definitely had some controversial. Uh, his, his again, his his economic theories are, have uh, been very controversial. Like he's not a he's he's not he's the the the, the left wing isn't necessarily a big uh, collectively a big fan of Niall Ferguson. So um, that, that's what I got. <laughs> well, that's what I got. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it, as Jr. would say. All right, niggas, that's it for another episode of the Samurai Archives podcast. Be sure to check out SamuraiPodcast.com for all of our back episodes. And hit us up on Twitter at Samurai Archives. Also be sure to check out the Samurai Archives bookstore for all of the books that are mentioned on this and any previous podcasts. And while you're at it, be sure to subscribe on iTunes and give us a favorable rating if you please. So this is Chris for Forrest saying catch you in a few weeks.